Oftentimes, I can't even remember what episode, if I'm watching a string of shows on Netflix, what I watched last week. So I have to go back and remember which was my last episode. And the reason I say that, it makes me realize that why I remember something over 25 years ago has been so important to me and why it marked my soul, if you will. So about 25 years ago, I was in New Mexico, Santa Fe, and I was pastoring my first meeting, uh, Farmland Friends. Actually, I was in another position, assistant superintendent. See, I couldn't even remember that. And I was assistant superintendent, and I was attending some meetings. And so as I often do, I was browsing through a bookstore, the little bookstore there on the square of Santa Fe, and I, I came up on this book, and I distinctly remember the book as if it was yesterday. I can actually picture in my mind what the store looked like. And it was by an author named Thomas More. Written, the book is entitled Care of the Soul. Anniversary edition just came out. Now, I can't remember verbatim the line that I read, but I distinctly remember it went something like this. Thomas More remarked on how often we tended to turn our relationships into projects. And at that point, Linda and I had been married approximately 10 years. I began to do a quick scan in my heart and my mind. And it was this revelatory moment for me because for the first time I became aware of how I had been approaching our marriage more as a project than a relationship. See, as a project, marriage as a project is all about efficiency and checking off the boxes. It's about reading the right manual and following the directions. It's about attending the occasional class or conference and make sure I was getting it just right. But mostly it was about making sure I did just enough to make it work without getting my heart too involved. It was planning and organizing and it was production. It was all about my head. Again, it was all about efficiency, all about checking off those boxes. It was years later and I can't tell you when exactly that I realized I approached all my relationships that way. In many ways, it's something that I often need to be vigilant about. It's my tendency to be what I call sort of utilitarian in my relationships and see them all, all as projects. So when I'm not at my best, I fall into this trap of seeing relationships as sort of transactional. I do something for you and you do something for me. Now honestly, I don't mean to be that distant or utilitarian, it simply comes up from a lifetime of thinking, I need to prop up my image and my identity on what I accomplish and what I achieve. So if you could all help me with that, I would appreciate that very much. That's what I'm thinking in my head. At my worst, and sometimes I am at my worst, relationships are something I ended up using in order to stroke my ego and further my agenda. At my best, relationships are this invitation to vulnerability, mutuality, and personal growth, as well as this opportunity to help the other person flourish and grow as we sort of provide refuge for one another within that relationship. Now, through my own self-reflection and awareness, I began to notice there was another relationship I treated in a very transactional way. You see the progression here. It was my relationship with God, and more specifically, my relationship with Jesus. So like my marriage and my other relationships, I tended to approach my spiritual journey and relationship with God as a project. It was all about, again, efficiency. 
checking off the boxes. It was all about attending the occasional conference, reading the right book, about being involved in the right things, attending the right meetings, being on certain committees. And mostly it was all about production and meeting my quotas so I could be validated and accepted and reinforce what my identity needed, which was approval. Some of you know that I did a little bit of insurance before I started here, which was 17 years ago. A friend got me involved in it, and I was in between places, and he said, well, maybe this is something you would like and you could do. On both counts, no and no, but I didn't know that till later. <laughs> so I sold these little policies called Medicare supplements. Some of you probably know them, and they were kind of a hot item then, and they are now. But anyway, I sold these Medicare supplements. But what I had to do, and I was just doing it part-time, was if you were part-time or full-time, every time you came home that day, and maybe some of you have to do this in your job, so you know I get that, but every time I came home that day, I had a number I had to call into. And it was a number at the head office. It was just a voicemail. It wasn't actually a live person, it was just a voicemail. And I had to call in all of my production for that day, which included sales, which included you know leads, which included phone calls, which included, I had to call all that in. Now since I was only doing it maybe like one day a week, Every day was like zero, 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 zero. Then we go to this production meeting on Friday morning, and everyone is just, you know, celebrating, eating donuts, having coffee, you know, to get around to me, zero, zero, zero. I'll never forget one night I came home, and I don't know if Linda remembers this or not. I get on the phone, and I just slam the phone down, and I said, this feels way too much like my spiritual life. And what I realized at that moment, my spiritual life had sort of kind of devolved into a production meeting with God, a performance review. How am I doing? Do I get a raise, God? Do I get a promotion? How's it going? And I had lost all sense of this sense of vulnerability and friendship, if you will, with God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You have every right to think this. This guy is one hot mess, and you're probably right. But I'm willing to bet there are others who have for a long time, or at least sometime in your journey, viewed your relationship as a project, also approached your relationship with God as a project. In many ways, we don't mean anything bad about it. Often it's the only way we know how to do relationships because vulnerability can be scary and friendships can be hard work. And quite honestly, sometimes it's... it's it's the baggage we bring into life because that's all we ever knew. It's how we related, how we were related to. So there's a lot of unlearning to be done before we can learn then how to relate to God in the way that God relates to us. Some of you know I do morning and evening prayers um, on social media. Uh, just something that I felt led to do years ago. I, I put a morning prayer on there, then I put an evening prayer on there. It's really sort of cathartic for me, and whatever helps people, that's perfectly fine. And this is the one that I put last night. Loving God, may we always see our relationship with you as one of vulnerability, acceptance, mutual self-giving, and love. Help us when we tend to turn our relationship with you into a project of efficiency, quotas, and religious to-do lists. In your grace, help us take that long journey from our heads to our hearts. One of my seminary instructors used to say to me all the time, he says, Scott, the longest journey you're ever going to take is the journey from your head to your heart. And it feels like that I'm always on that journey. Trevor Hudson, um, an author, 
writes this book, Beyond Loneliness, and here's what he has to write, or has to say. At the heart of the Christian faith lies an extravagant, grace-filled, and mind-blowing offer. God passionately longs to be friends with us. This is what Jesus, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascended presence throughout the universe, makes possible for every human being. All he asks is that we accept the offer of divine friendship. The language of friendship clarifies the kind of relationship God wants. It's not cold, formal, and sometimes fear-filled relationship between master and servant, boss and employee, owner and slave. Rather, God wants a relationship of close connection, deep belonging, and mutual partnership, or in one simple word, as Trevor Hudson writes, friendship. This is the same kind of language Jesus used as recorded in John that Marianne read just a few moments ago. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. And by the way, if you don't know, this is where we get the term or name friends. We're the religious society of friends. Early friends said, how do we want to be described? What do we want to look like? What do we want to name who we are? And they took this first and said, we want to be a religious society of friends. Friends of Jesus, friends with God, friends with the world, and friends with one another. And in the culture of Jesus' day, servants existed only to serve at the whim and wish of their master. They were not on any of the plans of the day. They had no personal connection with the family. They didn't share dreams with the family they served. They simply served at the bidding of their master with no sense of love or mutuality. They kind of hung around on the fringes and just stood there kind of like something on a wall. And when the master said, do this, they did this, and that's all it was. And this is why Jesus' vision and life is so radical. We are invited to follow him in the way of Jesus, not as detached servants doing his bidding. We're now friends. And Jesus lets us in on what God is doing and what God wants and God's dreams and God's purpose. This divine friendship where Jesus literally says, everything God has shared with me, I am going to share with you. Everything God wants this world to know, I'm going to let you know. We're in on something. We are friends. We have this intimacy. Alan Jones Uh, author who has passed away since he wrote this book, puts it this way. Friendship is for men and women of flesh and blood who feel want and taste grief. Let me read that again. Friendship is for men and women of flesh and blood who feel want and taste grief. Oh, I love that, by the way. Thank you very much, Leo. (laughs) How many of us have ever been in that position? who have this sense of want and feel grief. And so Alan Jones goes on to write, the Christian belief is that God offers us his friendship and he seeks our friendship. Let me ask you just a quick group participation question. Don't feel shy. Leo has already broken the ice here. He's talked in my sermon, so now you can talk too, okay? When you hear friendship, what to you is a valued and good friend? What characteristics come to mind? Just go ahead, it's okay. Yeah, Dom, just They're available. They're available, all right, what else? They're faithful, what else? Trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. They're there for you even if they 
don't agree with what you're doing. They're there for you even if you, they don't, they're there for you even if you don't agree. Say that again. They're there for you even if they don't agree with what you're doing. There you go. Yes. What else? Caring. Caring. Accepting you as you are. Accept you just as you are. Generous. Generous. What else? Confident. Confident. Anything else? Low expectations? It's interesting. How do you mean? Um, somebody that doesn't have to uh, fit into mm. what they think they want. Got it. There's not a preconceived mold that you have to fit into. Did that characterize it? Okay. Thanks. Any, anything else? Mutual love and give and take. Good. A couple more? Honesty. Honesty. A couple more? You really do know what a good friend is, don't you? You really do know what you're looking for in a good friend. And what I want to suggest to you is this is exactly the kind of relationship Jesus wants to have with us as our divine friend. It's exactly the kind of relationship that already exists for us to be in relationship with Jesus. All of that. And then what I find is that as we live in that relationship with Jesus in that way, we then become what? That kind of friend to others. We become that kind of friend with those in Deep River Friends meeting. We become that kind of friend with those in our world. We become that kind of friend with those in our family. Jesus really teaches us how to be good friends. I don't mean Quakers. I mean Jesus teaches us how to be good friends. You look at what he does, and he's saying to you, this is what it means to be a friend, and I want to be your friend as well. It's interesting in that quote that I read from uh, Trevor Hudson. He talks about three things in this quote that I find very helpful in terms of what also adds to this divine friendship. Close connection deep belonging, and mutual partnership. Now, I'm not going to go into those now. In fact, I thought, you know, over the next two or three weeks, what would be fun is to look at those individually. What does it mean to have a close connection with God and with one another? There's nothing more in this world that hinders good relationships and friendships than disconnection. And we often feel disconnected out of shame and isolation and sometimes loneliness. So what does it mean to have deep connection? What does it mean to have a sense of deep belonging with one another? And what does it mean to have a sense of mutual partnership in our world with God and with one another? One story, one quote, and then I'll close. But when I looked at this attribute of deep belonging as a part of being in divine friendship with Jesus and with one another, I thought about our contemplative prayer group the other night. So we were in our 20 minutes of silence. And we came out of our 20 minutes of silence. And everybody in that group knows everybody except one person. It's actually a friend of Heidi's. She's a wonderful Episcopal priest from Walnut Cove? No. Uh, St. Matthews in Kernersville. She's come to join us. And so I asked everybody, and she's, by the way, was the one that came up with the phrase, what surprised you? She invited us to think about that. I said, great question. What surprised you? And so since it was just one Episcopalian and the rest of us were Quakers, this was interesting what she said. She says, I'll tell you what surprised me. She says, halfway through the silence, 
I looked up on the wall, she said, and there on the wall behind me is this little poster, and the poster says, you belong here. And she said, I read that, and God said to me, I belong right here. And when I heard that, I thought, well, first, that's wonderful. But the second thing I thought is, is that not one of the biggest longings of people's heart today? To have a sense of belonging somewhere with a group of people, with individuals, with another person, to feel as if one person belongs. And I think that's what Jesus says to us. You belong to me. And we are in this friendship. This final quote by Trevor Hudson. Here's what he has to say. Hidden within our loneliness, without a face, lies a treasure. The longing that God placed in our hearts for a divine friendship. We were created with the purpose of befriending God. Our infinite longings remind us that we are made for the infinite. We were divinely designed for divine connection because this is how we have been wired. The only thing that ultimately will bring us joy and happiness is to know a close friendship with God. Deep within us there is a hole that only God's living presence can fill. Deep within us there is a hole that only God's living presence can fill.